0: Hello and welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine podcast. I'm Victoria Hicks, and today I'm going to be talking to Dr. Alex Franchosi, a respiratory medicine researcher and physician at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. We're going to be talking about alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency testing, which is the topic of a personal view recently published in the journal that Alex co-authored. Alex, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, which I will refer to as AATD, is the only readily identified genetic cause of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. And growing evidence also suggests that moderate deficiency in alpha-1 antitrypsin increases the risk of lung disease in smokers. Firstly, Alex, could you briefly describe the role of alpha-1 antitrypsin in the body and why even a moderate deficiency could be important, especially for smokers?
1: So alpha-1 antitrypsin is a protease inhibitor, and the most abundant one in human circulation. Its best understood role is that of inhibiting proteases, predominantly derived from uh, neutrophils. This basically helps uh, alpha-1 maintain a protease-antiprotease balance and avoids excess breakdown of elastin, which uh, left unchecked can lead to COPD or emphysema formation. Alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency is a hereditary condition inherited in an autosomal codominant manner. And effectively, the more abnormal genes you inherit, uh, the more severe the deficiency you obtain. In essence, once you have a deficiency of alpha-1 antitrypsin, a shift in balance from antiprotease to protease activity can occur, accelerating the breakdown of lung tissue. The normal form of alpha-1 is known as the M isomer of the protein, And 90% of the population in most countries or more would carry 2M genes and be known as MM. The most common mutations of alpha-1 that lead to deficiency are the S and the Z allele. And these, in combination in heterozygosity or in homozygosity with each other, can lead to a whole range of different deficient types. The one that's probably best recognized is the most severe form, which is ZZ alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. This form has been shown to be an independent cause and predictor of lung function decline and obstruction, regardless of smoking status, and also a cause of significant liver injury amongst carriers. But recent evidence has suggested that uh, even heterozygous forms such as MZ, a form that was previously considered a carrier state and therefore independent of any risk, actually does raise the risk of lung disease amongst smokers especially. This is probably because these individuals have a moderate deficiency which is sufficient to maintain antiprotease balance. But in the setting of cigarette smoking, there's oxidization of the active site of the molecule, meaning that the actual capacity to inhibit neutrophil elastase and other proteases is reduced. So in effect, these patients go from becoming just about sufficient in alpha-1 to being qualitatively deficient in alpha-1, and therefore proteolysis increases.
0: Several laboratory tests are used to diagnose AATD. Um, Could you explain the purposes of these different tests and what are some of the drawbacks that a clinician should be aware of?
1: So a range of laboratory testing options are available to uh, diagnose alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, with generally speaking at least two required to validate each other's results. The most commonly used test is to just measure levels of alpha-1 in plasma, which is the hallmark of alpha-1 deficiency. The advantage of this testing modality is that the equipment required and the sampling kits required are routinely available in hospitals and are used for a range of other normal biochemical tests. The disadvantage of using alpha-1 antitrypsin levels alone as a diagnostic test is that in the acute phase, alpha-1 antitrypsin rises, meaning that a certain number of patients who have a deficiency, if tested when they're acutely unwell, will have levels that appear to be normal, and many clinicians are not aware of this potential pitfall. When it comes to confirmatory and actual diagnostic testing, levels alone are not sufficient, And generally speaking, either genotyping or isoelectric focusing tests are one of the two uh, tests of choice for definitive diagnosis. Genotyping has the advantage that uh, it uses PCR-based assays in techniques that are commonly mastered by many laboratory scientists. It's relatively quick and the answers are fairly definitive. Definitive expertise in interpreting genotyping is not as much of an issue as it can be in other diagnostic tests for alpha-1. However, it's important for people to realize that when one requests a test for alpha-1 genotyping, generally only one or two common mutant alleles for alpha-1 are tested for, and therefore a result of a negative finding does not rule out rarer other types of alpha-1 nitrogen deficiency. Therefore, tests should always be correlated with the alpha-1 measured level, and if tests are not confirmatory or in keeping with each other, further testing may be required. The other most common form of diagnostic testing for alpha-1 is isoelectric focusing, effectively a version of electrophoresis. In this testing modality, the advantage is that the actual proteins represented in the blood of different patients are able to be seen directly, meaning that you don't have to pre-specify which particular abnormality you're looking for. This means that an experienced physician or an experienced clinician or interpreter can look at the results and pick out a number of different types of alpha 1 deficiency without having to specifically request one. Obviously this leads to one of the potential disadvantages, which is that specific platforms are required to run this test and a significant amount of expertise in interpreting isoelectric focusing gels is required Generally speaking, a combination of any two of those three tests is sufficient to make a very definitive diagnosis of alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, but rarely when all of the results do not correlate appropriately, uh, samples may be insufficient and we may need to proceed to performing uh, gene sequencing in specialized centers, interrogating the entire alpha-1 gene for previously unrecognized or extremely rare abnormalities.
0: So, despite research and guidelines emphasising the importance of testing for AATD in at-risk populations, it seems like there's a widespread lack of clarity regarding the diagnostic pathway, and this has led to a low uptake of testing. Why has there been such a lack of clarity, and how have you tried to address these issues in your recommendations?
1: So compliance with testing for alpha-1 has always been a historical challenge. Certainly, differences in nomenclature used over the years to describe essentially the same alpha-1 findings have perhaps confused the field. We've previously used the nomenclature of PI to precede a genotype of alpha-1, and so the literature may reflect findings such as pi or, in other papers, just ZZ. In effect, these are exactly the same thing, but this may not be clear to many clinicians and may make them feel like their knowledge of the area is not up to scratch. On top of that, ZZ-alpha-1 is a relatively rare finding, and some clinicians, especially those operating in areas where augmentation therapy is not available, may feel that testing solely for the purpose of finding a rare condition is not cost-effective when a treatment is not available. But recently, the discovery that even heterozygous alpha-1 significantly increases the risk of both liver disease and lung disease means that a shift in mindset should probably be taken, whereby testing for alpha-1 essentially forms a risk stratification tool as part of your general care for your patients. So in our new algorithm we've tried to address this by leading with two different options for testing we are effectively allowing clinicians to decide whether they are screening for alpha 1 knowing that an absolute result may not be given by that though a very high predictive value is achieved once levels are above a certain amount or else they can lead by following the diagnostic arm of our algorithm whereby they are looking for a specific and definitive diagnosis of alpha 1 genotype or phenotype Essentially, most of the mistakes that can occur happen because of perhaps a poor understanding at the very beginning of the process, whereby people are tested in the acute phase and levels alone are taken as a diagnostic confirmatory test for alpha 1. Furthermore, some cases may be rare and levels, phenotype and genotype may not match up. And our algorithm helps to talk physicians through what the appropriate follow-up steps should be when dealing with rare situations.
0: Alex, thank you very much for joining me today and thank you for listening.